Good morning, College Drive. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Um, <clears throat> sorry, as I, was, uh, as I was trying to sing my heart out to the Lord, I was trying to clear my throat as well. So in case you're wondering, that's also a benefit of singing is to make sure your voice is nice and clear before you preach. So if you're ever doing that, um, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to note. So <clears throat> in case you don't know, my name, is, as, my name is Carson. I'm the youth pastor here. And yeah, I get the privilege, the honor to work with the, with the with teenagers here at College Drive, and it's been such an honor the past few years to be able to do that, and so I'm grateful to be able to continue to do that, and also be able to preach to you this morning. And so yeah, we are in this series of Galatians called The Free Life, if you're new here, and so we're going through exegetically, uh, not verse by verse, but kind of chunk by chunk. And so last week, Kimball, he was preaching on, I mean, the beginning of chapter 2 up until verse 16. I'm also doing verse 16 as well. I'm kind of cheating a bit to get a little bit extra context. And so, yeah, we're going to be doing 16 to 21. And so before I get into that, I love sharing stories, so I'm going to give you a story. So um, maybe some of you guys know this, maybe some of you don't. Uh, I used to play lacrosse quite a lot. It was something I did from the ages of 8, I think it was grade 3, up until around 21-ish. And so I played a lot. Yeah, there, there's me in the back. I think I was 15, 16 at the time. And, I mean, lacrosse was my life. It was something that, I mean, every day, Tuesday, Thursday, weekends, it was all I did throughout my entire week. And I'd be practicing, I'd be going to, my dad, he was, he was a rink rat, so he'd be, he'd be able to give me free time. And I'd just go shoot on the nets, and I'd be practicing my, my accuracy, I'd be practicing my passing, my shooting. Um, if other people came, we'd be practicing, like, our communication, our plays. And it was something that we just, we lived and breathed these things. And, uh... Most of the time, if any of you know for sports, you have to sign up for these things. And, but when you get to the junior level, you have to actually try out for the team. And so you sign up, you have to pay a fee, and then you try out. And you might make the team, but you also might not make the team. And so thankfully, I feel like I got a little bit of a, of a cheating kind of pass into this because my head coach, for most of my time, he was actually, he was the head coach from when I was like, yeah, nine years old all the way up to now. So I feel like I had a little bit of a bias when I actually got in. But I was stoked, nonetheless, to be able to actually get in onto the team. And so fast forward, uh, on this specific season of, of that guy behind me, we were doing great. We were, we were probably the best team, in the, we were the best team in the league at this point. And we were wiping the floor with people. It was like 15-3, 12-5, like just, people were just, they, they could not stand up to our team, right? And so not to glow, but we were pretty good. We were a pretty good team. And so... Fast forward a little bit again, we are now in provincials. And so if any of you know what provincials are, you're playing to be the best in the province. And so we were playing for gold, we were in the very last game, and we were playing against Fort Saskatchewan. So we already at this point, we faced teams like Calgary, we faced a team in Leduc, we faced a team in Medicine Hat. And for some strange reason, Medicine Hat was always the bitter rivalry. I don't know what it was, but maybe it was because their names are the Sun Devils, particularly. So maybe there was like a righteous fury going on in our hearts. But maybe not. I don't know. I wasn't a Christian at this point yet. So, uh, but in the last game of the season, as I said, we were playing for gold and we were playing against Fort Saskatchewan. And for some reason, I sucked this game, to use, to use a blunt term. I was, I was bad. I was really bad this game. I couldn't, I couldn't communicate. I was slow. For some reason, my stamina just wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And maybe it was nerves because this is the first time I've ever played at this level of, of, of a game, of a lacrosse game. And so the second period, my, my coach, he was like, okay, Carson, you got to take a timeout. We're just going to sit you for a bit. And which is fair, right? Because you don't want someone to be playing who's just doing bad, right? And so I was sat for most of that period. 
And so the reason I bring this up is that for me, this was the really the first kind of big fail for me in a long line of performance. And we see um, this need to perform well in kind of every situation of our life, not just in sports, but in every area, whether it's our jobs, whether it's school, um, just kind of fill in the blank with that, which, I mean, we're a performance-based society, which has its benefits, right? Like if you're working, you don't want to be having a, a bad employee because you don't want to be you don't want someone who does not do well at their job to continue to pay them, right? You're probably not going to pay them, you're probably going to get rid of them. And on the flip side of that, if someone is good at their job, you want to incentivize them to stay. You want to give them benefits. You want to give them more reason. You want to give them a raise. You want to give them a promotion. And so we, we are a very performance-based society. And we see Jesus, when he came onto this scene, is that he kind of flipped this idea in terms of our religion, in terms of how we get in communion with, with God. He flipped this idea of performance on its head. And he shows that even though we, human nature, we love rules, we love systems, we, we love consistency, we, we love to kind of have everything we want, know how things are going at all, all times, he shows that we aren't supposed to be following a, a system, um, but he actually came to set up a new system. And that's why he came to die in our place, and that we do not deserve the gospel, and that it was a free gift that can never be taken away from us for those who trust in Jesus. And so that is what brings us into, uh, into Galatians 2 today. And so if you have your Bible, open up to verse 16, and we're just going to jump into it. And so while you're flipping to that, I want to give, I said we're going to get right into it, but I actually want to give a little bit of context to it. And so last week, we heard that Paul was kind of ripping into Peter, right? So it was like there was, this, there was this weird hypocrisy that Peter was kind of struggling with at this point. And we saw that Paul was saying, hey, like, Peter, you, are, you, you say that you are a follower of Jesus, then you were given the keys to the kingdom, but for some reason you're going back to this old way of living. You yourself, you're not living as a Jew should. You're not living as what the traditional Mosaic law is calling for, but you're separating Gentiles and Jews again. So what's going on, Peter? Why are you doing that? And you see that in this, if you're reading ahead a little bit, you'll see that Paul, he uses a lot of me's and I's when he's speaking in these, in these verses. A lot of commentators agree that when he's using this, he's actually trying to reference that he's talking about Peter when he uses this, these me's and I's. And so in case you're, you're wondering, it's kind of a little bit of context there. And so let's dive into this, into verse 16. And so just a little bit of preview of what I want to be speaking about today. I got three points because... Preachers can only count to three, so I got three. So we got what performance does, what the law does, and where true life is found. And so we're going into verse 16. Let's jump into it. It says this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So this leads me to my first point, which is performance empties the gospel. Performance empties the gospel. This is one of the anchoring verses of the entire letter here, that a person cannot be justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus. And this is actually the first time that we see the word justified being used in this letter. And so if you, know what, if you don't know what the word justified means, it just means right standing. And so if, it's, if you're in a judicial, like a court of law, and a judge is about to give you, like the proceeding is done, and he's about to give you your, your sentence, it's either going to be guilty or justified, guilty or innocent. And so, yeah, usually used in a, in a court of law or in a judicial system. 
And so Paul is referring back to what Kimball talked about last week when Peter was dividing, as I said, the Jews and the Gentiles when they were eating at, at the table or maybe at communion as well. And so Paul's saying, hey, you're trying to set a standard that we know doesn't justify us. It doesn't give us innocence in, in the sight of God, but you're trying to set this system back up. And so what is the standard now that Paul is trying to set? What is in verse 16 that we can see that Paul is trying to bring us back to, trying to bring Peter back to? And as you read, you can see that it's this word, faith. Faith. And if you're a Greek scholar like myself, I'm not, but um, it's this word pistis in the Greek, which means to trust. Not just to trust in the past of what's already happened, but a continual trust in the present and into the future. Uh, William uh, Barclay, he, he wrote this, uh, he had a nice twist on the word faith. It says this, that faith is complete trust and complete surrender to Jesus Christ. It is the total acceptance of all that he said, all that he offered, and all that he is. So why is this important? Why is this important? Because we can see here that Paul is pushing back against what Peter is trying to set up again, the Mosaic law. Peter is showing that he is trusting more in the work of the law than of Jesus. And it leads him back to this need to perform. He needs, he needs to do the right things. He needs to say the right things, be around the right people. And he has to make himself clean before he comes back into right standing with God. And so we can see that this chunk of scripture, it's, it's mostly geared towards a Jewish audience, right? Of course, first century, um, when the church was getting set up again, this is obviously the context. So I don't want to just jump into reading the text and just kind of inserting ourselves eisegetically into this. But what Paul is refuting Peter for, we actually, in our modern culture today, we still struggle with these same things. We may not be following the Mosaic law. We may not be not trying to eat shellfish or not trying to, uh, yeah, separate people from, from eating at the same table. But we have our own laws that we try to follow. We have some stuff that we need to deal with or we need to feel bad enough for long enough before we can come back and, and, and pray again to Jesus. Or maybe if you're wrestling with Christianity this morning, um, maybe you feel like you got to make yourself clean. you got to get rid of these habits. you got to get rid of these, these sins before you become a Christian. And you have some habits that you have to deal with before you become a Christian. And so for these, these, these different characters, I hope that you can relate in some way with one of these, um, is that that's kind of the point of Christianity, is that you can't make yourself clean before you come to Christ. And that he is the only one that can make you clean and come into a right standing with God. Because if we need a savior, as we sung this morning, we need to, there needs to be someone who needs to be saved, which is us, and we cannot save ourselves. And so this morning, if you're dealing with performance anxiety, or if you feel like you need to do something to get into right standing with God, and I'm speaking to all of us, including myself when I say this, is that this idea of performance, where you need to do something, where you need to say something, where you need to, you need to be around the right people and say the right things, that is an anti-Christian idea. And so I want to re repeat here what, what Paul says in verse 16. He says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works. So he says that first time, all right? Not justified by works. Okay, cool. Cool, Paul. That's great. Goes on to say, we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Okay, second time. We're not justified by works of the law. Okay, that's great. Because... 
by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul's repeating himself three times here. And you know, when someone repeats himself, you better get it. You better, he's getting the point across here, is that we are not justified by what we do. And so Paul's reemphasizing one, two, three times this wild concept that faith should not, be, should not be put in the law or what we can do or our performance, but it's only in what Jesus has done and is continuing to do. And so it's not about how clean we try to make ourselves. It's not about how much money we give to the poor, how, much, how well we speak to our neighbors, or if you tell yourself you need to clean your act up before you become a Christian. You'll always struggle with something. It may not be a big thing. It may not be a drug addiction. It may not be, may not be another big thing that we all, that's not, not all of us, that some of us struggle with. Um, it could just be a little thing like lust or jealousy or comparison or, or envy or some, some other sin that maybe we just don't talk about as much. And so all these things are still sin and we still calls us guilty in the presence of a perfect God. But, as we know in the gospel, we are only declared innocent based on the work of Jesus, that he came down to earth as fully man and fully God, that he died the death that we deserve to die, and lived the life and continues to live life that we cannot live, so that in our place that we can come into a right standing with God. That is the beautiful picture of the gospel, that we don't deserve it, and that there's only grace to be given to us. And so that is what Paul is trying to emphasize here. And so moving down to verses 17 through 19, now this is what Paul says. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were to be found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? You can um, underline that or make a note of servant of sin. Paul says, Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. This is my second point, that the law reflects, not corrects. Not, it reflects, not corrects. So the reason I wanted you to make a point of servant of sin is that in other translations, it says promoter of sin. And so uh, Paul, he actually uses this language in, in other letters, specifically in Romans 6. He talks about this kind of same concept. Um, and, and I want to give a little bit of context of what he's talking about. Because at face value, it, it can be a little confusing when he's talking about, what, okay, what am I rebuilding? What am I tearing down? Like, what is going on here? So when he's talking about tearing down, he's talking about the law. And he's referencing back to when Peter was, was placing law on, on the Gentiles. And, and, yeah, he's making them do things that they weren't supposed to be doing. And so Paul, he's probably one of those guys that when you argue with him, He's probably already like one or two steps ahead of you, right? So like you say something, he refutes it, and then you have something in mind, and he's like, oh, I already know what you're going to talk about. And you're like, dang it, like I can't beat this guy in an argument. Like he's just a great debater. And so <clears throat> Paul says in verse 16, you guys are free from the law, right? You guys are done with, it's done with. No more need to, to continue to do things to be in right standing with God. It's only through Jesus. There's no law that needs to be followed now. It's done with. It's only through this, the guiding of the Spirit and through the work of Jesus. <clears throat> and so Paul, he anticipates what's going to be said to him by the, by, the, by, the, by the Judaizers of the time. And so he might be thinking to himself, okay, well, they're probably going to say this. They're probably going to ask, so doesn't that mean that, that, we don't, that, we don't need to, that if we don't need to follow the law, doesn't that just mean that Jesus is pushing us towards sin at this point? Because for Jews who follow the law, 
this was, I mean, this was a huge paradigm shift for them. It's easy for us in our modern culture to be like, oh, just follow Jesus, right? Like, it's, it's so obvious. Like, just follow Jesus and it's going to be fine. But for them at the time, this was a complete shift of, of everything in their lives. If, if, they, if they heard that they couldn't follow the law anymore, that was pretty much what they thought in their minds, that they were going to be, that there's just, they're being pushed towards sin. Because to, to, to not follow the law is to sin in their minds. And so, they, um, and for the Gentiles, they never had to follow the law because they were never given one. But for the Jews, up to this point, their entire lives were centered around the law. And so the, the, only, the only way I could really describe this, I'm not using this as a buzzword just to kind of be like, ah, oh, buzzword, but they had to kind of, in a sense, deconstruct their faith. They had to ask themselves, okay, what is the law? What does it mean for us now? Like, what, what, what is, like, do we have to follow the law and Jesus? Or is it just Jesus and the law? Or did Jesus, is, kind of, is Jesus done with and we just follow the law again? Like, what do we do here? And so they were wrestling with these questions. And so the thing is, and that we know, if you are a Christian, is that the law was never meant to save. It was only meant to point out how bad we are at following the law. And so that's why Paul says in verse, uh, verse 18, when he says, for I rebuild what I tore down, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's saying, hey, the only thing that the law does, if I go back to the law, if I, if I bring it back into my life and I start to follow the law again, it's only going to show how badly I follow the law. And so that's why he's saying that in verse 18. So we continue down to verse 19, and he says this, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So Paul's saying that he is no longer identified by the law and, that, and the rules that he constantly breaks, but now he is identified by Jesus and the relationship that he wants with me. It's no longer rules, but relationship. And now I don't have to please some law, some written code, but now I, ac- I can work to please and to be in, right, in, in, in a fulfilling and amazing relationship with God. And for me, and I'm sure for all of, this, uh, all of us here, this can be tricky sometimes because there's this really strong appeal to go back to, to a law. Maybe not the Mosaic law for some of us, but, but for some of us, it could be systems. Um, I mean, off the top of my head here, just thinking how many books, how many, how many events we go to, how many podcasts we listen, listen to, conventions, uh, conferences. Um, these things aren't bad. I'm not saying, like, go read books, listen to podcasts, go to conferences, go to conventions. These are fine. But we, we, I can see in my own heart that I want, like, okay, what's these three steps, as I'm ironically preaching three different points this morning, but we want three steps to say, okay, how can I be a good Christian? Give me three points, give me five, five, whatever it is, things that I can follow to live the Christian life. But we see Jesus, whenever he talked to people in the Gospels, it was always, abide in me. If you want to be a Christian, abide in me. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And the disciples might be like, okay, well, how? How do I do that? Like, what does that look like? Give me the steps. Give me the points. Give me the, give me the things I need. Because we want consistency. We want systems. We want, we want a law in our own hearts. We want to know what's happening at all times and why it's happening. Almost as if we can turn on cruise control for our Christianity. And so, what do I mean by that? Cruise control in our Christianity. So, for an example, um, I could give the example of the way I date. And for some of you, you, might be like, oh, Carson, dating? Like, oh, that's crazy. Carson's going on dates? Calm down, all right? <laughs> There's nobody right now. I'm loving being single. It's great. But when I date, 
let's just let's set up an example here. Let's set up let's set up a situation. Let's say there there's a girl, and I find out um, that I kind of like her. I'm like, whoa, she's cool. I want I want to I want to pursue a relationship with her, and I'm getting to know her, and we're talking. And let's just say that, um, that I'm trying to get her attention, and so the, a way I might get her attention is to be a gentleman and just pretend we're friends, and we're just never going to tell her I like her. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll actually try to pursue her and try to get her attention and hang out with her and take notes of what she likes, right? So I'm going to take notes. I'm going to, I'm gonna, okay, so let's just say her favorite color is blue. Let's say she loves um, Saganese. Rest in peace, Saganese, if you like that place. Um, let's say she likes, um, uh, what, what kind of flowers? Let's say roses. Let's say roses. We're setting up this nice, nice example here. And, so she lo- and then she loves Shawshank Redemption. Let's say that. That's a great movie, Shawshank Redemption. So, this is, yeah, you're getting to know me a little bit right now as well. So that's a great movie, okay? But so she likes these four things, right? And so, let's say she comes to me and she's like, "Hey Carson, like we're, um, I just feel like you're not, a pri- I'm not a priority for you right now. Like we we've, we've been going on a couple dates, we've been hanging out, but I just don't feel like I'm your priority. You're kind of doing other stuff. And so I can say to myself, okay, so every day for the next six weeks. I'm just going to, until she feels better, let's say, if, I don't know how long it's going to be, but what we're going to do is I'm going to pick her up, I'm going to get her some roses, and we're going to go get some Saganese food, and we're going to go watch Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> it's a great movie. And, and it's going to be great. And I'm going to drop her off, and it's going to be a fantastic evening. And she's going to be like, wow, that was so awesome. You know everything I like. That's great. And then, so the first time, that's awesome, right? Like, it's like, okay, you notice me. Like, you know the things I like. That's great. The second time might be a bit weird, right? Like, okay, this is a bit repetitive. Like, you kind of, you, you, you did this yesterday. Like, why are we doing this again? That's kind of odd. And then the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time, the sixth time, seventh, eighth, ninth, for six weeks. Like, people who are married here, if, if your husband did that to you for six weeks, how, how bored and annoyed would you get like, yeah, I feel like there's some amens in the crowd there. Like, all right. <laughs> and so the thing is, the reason I say that is because it's kind of the same way with our relationship with God. It's not that we want, a, we, we don't want to hit cruise control and be like, okay, I'm just going to do the same thing I've always done, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing my, my devos for 30 minutes, and then I'm going to go to life group, and then I'm going to, if you're in youth, maybe you're going to go on Friday to youth group, and then on Sunday I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to get young adults, and that's my relationship with God. And those things are good. As I said before, those are good things. But when you set it up as a system and that's your, that's your whole relationship is built just on things and, 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 yeah, and performance and a system, then that, that person's not going to feel like a priority. They're not going to feel like you really, you really want to get to know them. And so that's the same thing with our relationship with God. And so then... If it's not the systems, if it's not, if it's not this kind of one, two, three sort of thing, how do we come into a thriving relationship with Jesus? So this is how Paul finishes his objection towards Peter, and it's going to lead me into my last point. He says this in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he continues in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
And so my third point is this, is that true life is found in dying to ourselves. True life is found in dying to ourselves. So as I was thinking about this over the past, I guess, couple weeks, um, the idea that kind of set the, set the stage for me when I was thinking about this sermon is that Christ didn't just come to, come to live his life for you. He came and gave his life to you. He didn't just give his life for you, but to you. And so what do I mean by that? So if, a few years ago, we did this series in youth um, on the gospel. And so, yeah, great, the gospel, the good news. And so it was, it was set up in six, uh, it was an acronym, so six letters in the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. And the one that kind of came to my mind is the last one, the L. So this is right after, so you go through and you say, God created us to be in relationship with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be paid back by good deeds. And then it goes all the way down to L. And th- this is right as soon as you become a Christian, this is, how, this, is, this is what it's like and what it means to now be a follower of Jesus. And so the L, it says this. It says, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Life with Jesus starts now. And this is such an important concept because Jesus didn't just come to die for you so that you can go and just be a nice person, go pay your taxes. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that Jesus just died and rose again and you just go on living your life, right? Jesus came not just, to, not just to die for you, but he wants to live through you. He wants to make you into the image of Christ, to be like Christ, to, to live and breathe Christ. That's the entire purpose of the Christian life, and it's all through the work of the Holy Spirit. Not so you can go living, can continue living your life, but you will go and live Christ to a world that needs him. And as soon as you become a Christian, he is continually moving you in that direction. He never stops, and he won't stop until all of us are in eternity with him. And so you might be asking yourself, how, how do we do this, Carson? So what are you trying to get at? This sounds great that he wants to live through us. Christ wants to, wants to live his life through us and in us, but how do we do that? So Paul explains here. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by What? I live by my performance? No. I live by how much money I give to people? No. I live by my church attendance? No. How well I talk to people about my faith? No. I live by faith. In who? In me? No. In the Son of God, of Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's only through Jesus, not through my systems not through my performance, not through my degree, not through what other people say about me, but only through Christ. It all comes back to faith, to pistis, to this faith, this trust in in Jesus in the past of what he's done and what he's continuing to do here in the now. And the same way that you became a Christian in the first place, for those of you who are Christians this morning, what did you do when you first became a Christian? You said, I can't do this life on my own. You said, I can't save myself. You said, I can't live this life going on knowing I can't be in right standing with God based on my performance. So you say, it's through Jesus, I need you to be my mediator between you or between me and God. And the same way that you gave your life to Jesus is the same way that you do that today. That you say, God, I can't do today on my own. I can't love people the way you want me to love on my own. I can't give what I need to give on my own. Jesus, it's only 
through trust and dependence on you. And when you realize that you've been crucified with Christ, that's, that's, that's a graphic image if you think about it. That you've been nailed to the cross with Jesus. That you have been killed with Jesus. And you are now entirely dependent on Jesus and his spirit living through you day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, second by second. This is such a revolutionary idea that Paul is bringing up. That there is a God who came down to earth to relate with us, to live the life that we cannot live, not just in the past, but now. And the same way that we start our walk with Christ is the same way we grow in that walk, in total surrender and dependence on Jesus, to die to ourselves daily so that Christ can live through us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. So this is how Paul finishes his thoughts in verse 21. He says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you just think about that for a second, if righteousness or right standing or, or innocence, to put it a different way, was found through systems or performance or rule keeping or in, in this context for following the Mosaic law for the, for the Jews, then Jesus died for nothing, no reason. And if you're living like that, if you're living like, I need to do something, I need, I need, to, I need to prove myself, I need to do something to show that I, I am a good Jesus follower, that I, that, that I can follow the ways that he needs me to, and that makes me a good Christian, you are not following the way he wants you to follow. It's only through Jesus. And so you might be here this morning struggling with this concept. You might be thinking, well, I would love to believe that, but I struggle with whatever it is, whether it's a sexual addiction or lust or comparison, maybe even same-sex attraction, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Jesus and Paul are both saying here that if you come to Christ and you put your faith in his work, not your own work, you will be saved point blank, period. No exceptions. Jesus either died for all of your sins or he died for none of them, past, present, and future. And that is the truth that sets us free to live out the Christian life, not based on how I live it, but based on what Jesus wants to do through me. And so to summarize, we talked about three things this morning. We talked about how performance empties the gospel. We talked about how the law reflects, not corrects. We talked about how true life is found in dying to ourselves. So I guess to let you know how the game finished uh, when I was in provincials, uh, the, the score was 7-2 at this point, and we had 30 seconds left on the clock. And so the third period, I actually got to go out and play for a little bit, still was not doing well. I, I got brought back in for the last 30 seconds, as all of us did who weren't uh, seniors, uh, senior being 21, so yeah, old. And... <laughs> And we, they got brought out to play on the field because this was their last game. It was like this was a huge deal for them, so they got to finish well. And so when we were on the, on the bench, our coach was talking to us, and he said this to all of us while they were out finishing the game. They were like, I don't, so my coach said to us, he said, I don't care if you're angry. I don't care if you're upset. I don't care if you're, if you're feeling like you didn't do a good enough job or if you're exhausted. Right now, all of you on this bench, you guys are winners, so with these last 15 seconds before this game is done, you guys better start celebrating because you guys are winners. And then when the clock ran down, we all sprinted on to, uh, to the floor 
and sadly there, <laughs> there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a report done by Global News on it, and if you watched it, you saw me slipping on our way to, towards to celebrate, and I fell down on my knees and just face-planted, but <laughs> I was celebrating. I was like, whoa, we, we won, but I didn't, didn't really do it in style, and so... <laughs> And so we got there, we started jumping up, we started celebrating, and we all hugged our, hugged our goalie, and we got to take pictures with the trophy, and, the, and we had got gold medals pulled around our neck. And it was such an amazing moment for all of us. And it wasn't just given to the best players for the ones who deserved it. It was also to me and to the other rookies who really hadn't been there before. We all were not doing well that game. And so that, to me is a picture of the gospel, is that we didn't do well. We weren't enough to bring it to that gold medal. I wasn't enough. They weren't enough. And for all of us this morning, you are not enough, and you're never going to be enough. And so a little bit of quick application to wrap up here is that I see two different people here this morning. There's people who need to, in, in Paul's words, who need to crucify their performance or they need to crucify their comfort. Crucify your performance or your comfort. What do I mean by that? We see in verse 20 that there's this tension between, okay, is this Jesus doing the work through us or is this, or is this us doing the work and Jesus is just kind of, we're acknowledging Jesus' work in us. And so how, what is it? What is, this, what is this dichotomy, this tension that we need to hold? And it's that we need to do the work, but still Christ doing the work through us. And for some of us, we need to crucify our comforts. So let me explain. You can think to yourself that now that you're a Christian, you just kind of go back to living life how you want to. You prayed the prayer. You've told Jesus, like, I want you to enter into my life. Yes, like, this, this is your life now, Jesus. I've surrendered myself to you. But you kind of just let it go. You kind of fizzled out. The flame was there at one point, but now it's kind of just gone. And the thing is, is that Jesus is commanding us to live the Christian life to share the good news with others, to live generously. And it's not based on our performance, like I've said, but he's still calling us to do these things, not because it saves us, but because it gives us a flourishing and better relationship with him. And also, we get to share the good news with people, that they can come into knowing Christ as well. And so you might think to yourself, like, okay, like, it's not really my cup of tea, right? Like, other people are good at those things, but I'm not really. But the thing is, is that not just some aspects of Christ not just 50%, not just 25%, not just 40%, 100% of the fullness of Christ is living in you right now if you are a Christian. And when you say no to an opportunity, and don't let this be a guilt trip, let's, let this be a challenge. When you say no to an opportunity, you are saying no to the life that Jesus wants to live through you. And I know that in my life, there are definitely areas that I need to work on and give over to Christ. And so what is it for you? What is it for you this morning? Because the gospel, it's a free gift. Anyone can accept it, but it's not cheap. And so don't let the gospel become cheap in your life. And for others, you may need to crucify your performance. You may feel to yourself, okay, if I do my Bible studies, if I do my devos in the morning, if I go to church on Sundays, if I go to life group, if I do da-da-da-da-da, then I'm a good Christian. And you feel this pressure, this need to, to perform well, to do the right things. But the thing is, Take comfort that you don't need to perform for him. All those quiet times, sharing the gospel, doing, doing the things that, that Christ does call us to do, that's not keeping you from your sins. That's not saving you from those sins. And so you might be saying, like, okay, so then are those things not good? Then no, they're good things. They're really good things to do, but they don't save you. The thing that they do 
is that they build your relationship with God. They, they, they cultivate it. It's like if you're farming, you, you, need, to, you need to sow the seeds. You need, to, you need to water. You need to put fertilizer down. And then God's the one who does the growth. Yes, but we need, to do the, we need to do the work, but God's the one who does it. And in any good relationship, whether it's your friends, your family, God, it needs to be fostered so that you can live in the freedom that Christ has done all the work, but now you can be in a flourishing relationship with him. And so for both these issues, whether it's crucifying your comfort or your performance, Paul says that it's no longer us, calls drive, who live, but Christ who lives in us. And that all we need to do is to keep living the life that he's called us to, just how it started when you put your faith and trust in him for the very first time. And you said, God, I can't do this life on my own. I need you to save me. And the same way you started is the same way that you continue to live this life. And so let me pray that we will all seek Christ this morning. God, we come to you this morning, College Drive, as, as a body of broken people, of people that need your gospel, of people that need the good news, that need grace, that need mercy. And God, I thank you for Paul and his writing to us, God, that, that we can know that it's not based on how well that we perform. It's not based on how well and well-versed I am in, in your scriptures. It's not based on my, my, my loving other people. God, it's not based on how, uh, how well I just do the, do, do the Christian life while God is only based on you, Jesus. And so I pray that for any of us that are struggling this morning, feeling like we're inadequate to come to you, God, feeling like we're not worthy of it, God, we're not worthy. But God, you have called us through your son, Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that we can come to that with comfort, with peace, and with a call that is bigger than any of us can ever imagine to go and to bring the light of the world into the world. And so I thank you, Lord, that we can be that and that we can live a life on mission to, to, to live this life and to bring life into a dying world. So praise in your name. Amen.